Good evening, everybody, Little and welcome. Difficulty. Yes. My name is Kevin Bates, and I'm a pastor in Sherwood, Oregon. Each and every week, we desire to take theological principles, biblical stories, and narratives, and all the genres of scripture, and help you immerse yourself in order to embody and apply them to your everyday life. I want to encourage you to tune into this online broadcast each and every week. And ways you can support our ministry is to first follow our Instagram page, like our Facebook page. You can listen to this online broadcast to make comments under uh, whatever social media channel you listen to. And you can financially support our ministry through our website, ResonateLife.org, under the Give tab. So you are joining us live tonight. This is Thursday night, 830 uh, Pacific Standard Time for this for this broadcast. This is going to be replayed or you can access this broadcast on our Facebook page or YouTube channel and it will be replayed on Sunday morning as a part of our Sunday morning offering. Every Thursday night we come together for this to do a deeper dive, what we call a deeper dive. And if you've been following us online, I want you to remember that you, we've been in a series called Atlas of the Heart. And today we are talking about the biblical view of emotions created when we search for connection. So I'm joined today with Sheree Bodner and Jake Flug, two of my leaders at Resonate. Good evening, Jake and Sherea. Good evening, Hello. Kevin. So what was that background noise we were getting there? We're just like continually working on Those our technical jazz, difficulties. Yes, standards. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. Rob is the shop at Symposium, and so I think Amanda's oh. cleaning the house right now. Uh, <laughs> that's what is happening. That, I know that. that I know makes that total song. sense. Yes, that, that, that is a funny. That is funny. That is funny. Well, we do the very best that we can with what we've been given. That's what I'm learning through this uh, through this series, right? <clears throat> All right. Well, let's get started because we have a lot to talk about tonight. And I don't have anything to bring up like interesting. <laughs> the start. They found, they like, found the, uh, the Goonies ship. That was a... Oh, that's that was a, right. Yes. That was what? an interesting thing. Like yeah, so One-Eyed Willie, the, the story. Yes, from the story. So Steven Spielberg, when he made that movie, he went to a story and learned about the folklore of One-Eyed Willie and the pirate ship out in the coast of Astoria. Nest, that crashed. Oh, there's that, actually something yeah, and, there? Yeah, well, there was actually it's, it's something folklore. they found. Boards. Oh. They found boards from an ancient ship 500 huh. years ago or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> this uh, crazy old ship that I think was going from the Philippines to Spain, or they were they were transporting they got lost in goods, and they got lost in Oregon. So people for huh. years have found uh, porcelain on the beaches washing up, and it finally made sense that it was coming actually from this shipwreck. And the timbers story timbers was true. Up. Well, they found those in a cave, I think this like Did weird they? cave. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So so totally. And uh Supreme Court overruled, I think today something um New York's oh, open problem. carry in New York. Yeah. You can't yeah, open, open carry open that probable cause. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you can now open carry or they deemed it um unconstitutional, so yeah. we're still working on carry laws and what else happened today? Oh. The uh, Jake just sent this out. If anyone is interested, you should go to Oregon.gov, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and you should check out Every Student Belongs. So this goes along with our topic today. 
Uh, Every Student Belongs is a program in Oregon that students' health and safety are the cornerstones of education and that all students are entitled to a high-quality educational experience free from discrimination or harassment based on perceived race, color, religion, gender identity, sexual orientation, disability, or national origin, and without fear or hatred, racism, or violence. All staff and leaders are also entitled to work in environments that are free from discrimination or harassment. Visitors should be able to participate in school activities without fear for their safety. So that uh, that was not nothing. That was not that's not new. It's not a new concept, but definitely uh, for a program and actually an every student belongs program ends a. Uh, I don't know if they would call it a law. I guess it would be a law, um, a form of law that uh, was enacted. Prohibits hate symbols, specifically three, the most recognized symbols of hate in the U.S., the swastika, the Confederate flag, and the noose. Yep. So Newburgh I'm, school I'm, district or Newburgh school board voted to overturn that last summer. So here we are. Yeah. There so, we are every student belongs so that's an interesting idea that just uh well is very prominent in the news uh these days all right that's what we're talking about tonight is belonging fitting in connection disconnection insecurity invisibility and loneliness those are the topics for tonight uh places where we go when we search for connection when we search for connection, belonging, fitting in, connection, disconnection, insecurity, invisibility, and loneliness. Hmm. Those are some interesting topics, I think, that are uh, very, very real. So Sharia is going to take invisibility and loneliness. Jake's going to take connection, disconnection, insecurity. And I'm going to take belonging and fitting in, and that's how we're going to break it up. So I'm going to start and then shut my mouth, and then the other two are just going to go, and I'll fill in whatever blanks they allow me to fill in. Because I talk a lot, and I just need to shut up sometimes and allow other people to speak and allow space for people to, to talk. So anyway, let's talk about belonging and fitting in. Belonging and fitting in is considered in psychology a irreducible need and i i learned this differently i guess in well probably probably high school where maslow's uh hierarchy of needs is a psychological principle where uh you have basically needs that are the needs of human beings are broken up into one two three four five categories and those five categories you can see that we're posting there right now these are human beings needs that need to be fulfilled in order for us to be a thriving alive human that we need to be an alive human as well and so i learned it this way uh, a little bit different than Brene brown is speaking about in her book atlas of the heart if anyone wants to show that book right now you can but <clears throat> the there do we see it is it there no, we can't. it's okay. behind I'm, I'm okay. we can't see it, it. Can't. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's okay there, there we, we go. go perfect thanks Rob. atlas of the heart yeah thank you rob 
All right, so Atlas of the Heart, that's what we're going through with this, uh, looking at a biblical perspective of emotions. So I learned this a long time ago, since I'm 50 and I'm like, a, you know, like an old man now, to some people, some people I'm very young, other people I'm very old, depending on your perspective. I think that I am just seasoned and like fine wine getting better with age. But Maslow's 19-something, probably 50, 40s, Stuts. 50s, 60s. It's, it's, it's early. Early. Um, it's early. It's, I think it's 40s or 50s, if I remember right. So Maslow's, you have, you have categories of needs that if you don't get these fulfilled, you'll basically, there's all kinds of deaths that you can go through, emotional death or even physical death. And so the, the bottom part of this pyramid is a deficiency need. And then the top part of the pyramid is basically your, your self-awareness or your, your being, like your soul. So the top of the pyramid, that top triangle really is the only top part of Maslow's hierarchy that has to do with self-actualization, being soul, spirit, mind, kind of the ethos of living is that top top pyramid and it's uh, used to be called um being that's where on being comes from like your being mm. like your whole sense of being so that's the very top but then the bottom part in psychology or at least old school psychology and since this is old and she uses an old concept in her book we just have to declare it old and try to make it new somehow but if you don't have your physiological needs. So if you think about physiological needs, if you go long enough without that being fulfilled, you'll die. Physiological Can we need. Define what those are, since that's a big word for oh, people. Physiological is your body. So your physiological need is a is like a biological human sustenance, water, food, uh, water, shelter. Air. Yeah, like yeah. air. Those are all the physio, you know, if you go without oxygen, you'll die. If you go without food, you'll die. You go without water, um, you'll die. Eventually, uh, you'll go uh, without. Uh, Maslow, Maslow puts sleep and also like sexual intercourse is also in physiological needs need to, to reproduce. And that goes beyond just um, humans at that point. And it's humans that the the model is that it's self-actualization maslow's pyramid comes out of 1943 mm. mm. ching ring the bell for me so <laughs> i knew it was early i didn't know it was that early though 1943 that's a long time ago and we're still using it so physiological needs uh safety i don't know what he meant by safety do you are you looking something up there, Jake, for me? Uh, I guess I would be safe. to be security. Um, if you go There's... a long time under threat, that has a psychological uh, effect on your body so in your mind. In, so internal is mostly safety and it has to do with health, personal safety, <laughs> which is bodily, uh, emotional yes. and financial. And so it's, it does okay, have so the security. Act, this yeah it's all it's all security based but right. also the um the threat of 
injury is also in that security as well. Okay. So your safety, your security is within that. Um, then we have love and belonging. So love and belonging right at the center of this pyramid. I don't think that that's meant that there's nothing that necessarily is meant by having it at the center of the pyramid in, in its initial intention. Although you can say that right at the center of the pyramid of thought is that love and belonging are key to, and it is considered, it's considered a deficiency or um, what's another word? What's the opposite of deficiency? Surplus. No, enough. Abundance. So, so enough, you have abundance, but the opposite of scarcity is enough. Mm -hmm. So love and belonging, you need enough love and belonging to survive. Safety, you need enough safety to survive. Physiological, well, okay, here's a good example. If you eat too much food, that will also kill you eventually. Yeah. So, so physiologically, what you said there was important. Enough. The opposite of scarcity, what we put as the opposite of scarcity is always overabundance or, um, right, like exuberance, but instead it's just enough. Can I, um, right, speak to the idea of the, the order of it and why love and belonging is in the center? Yeah, because I don't know. I'm just, um, I'm not, th I'm not thinking that Maslow had some, like, amazing thoughts behind that. But go ahead. Okay, if I remember my college courses correctly, um, I I believe the idea is because I'm trying to remember level... mine, and mine's a lot longer right. than yours. <laughs> bottom level is most foundational. Um, yes, those are the things that we need, and if we have those needs mostly fulfilled then we can be concerned with issues of safety and security. Um, but then we can't feel love and belonging um, unless a certain amount of our safety and security needs are met. Um, right. So each of those levels builds on each other. Correct. Okay. Yeah. If we, if we don't survive the night, we can't have love and belonging and esteem. Yeah. So I made a mistake already. <clears throat> so it's it's Maslow's low Maslow, not 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 Victor uh, Maslow. No oh, Maslow is a no Maslow is the Russian famous oh, Russian funny. mathematician. Maslow's <laughs> Maslow's or Maslow's 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 hierarchy of needs that's not the point i'm trying to get to the top of the pyramid <laughs> help me get to the top of the pyramid Let's so okay. now we have go go climb i'm almost to the top of the mountain esteem so esteem yes esteem you have this is the idea of dignity and what's really interesting is the germans back in world war ii the nazis what they did is they removed esteem they removed dignity from a group of people they were threatening a person's dignity and that had a lot of survival issues around it people did not survive without a level of of dignity and and so we think of dignity differently um than maybe you know because that's 
that's a really super sad and horrific, you know, time. Uh, and is a horrible. Yet I think we see allusions to that even today, where we look at different people groups and we perform or say or do uh, similar, I guess, actions and similar like illusions of actions that could eventually turn into a genocide situation if left unchecked and left, you know, just run rampant. Yeah. Would so, you say the opposite then is like dehumanization? Well, yeah. So, so a positive aspect of enough esteem would be dehumanization mm -hmm. or lack of dignity, taking somebody's dignity away. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think about when I, when I think about, okay, well, what do we do on that form of scale to a certain people group and remove their dignity? Can you guys think of an example where we remove dignity on the level of like horrific ness as I'm it's not saying it's the hard same. To think of something it as has an illusion of cast. feeling the same. Oh, and any yeah. genocidal action yeah. would be the same. I mean, not to negate right. the Holocaust at all. Um, more, more Russians died after Lenin and Stalinism than and their own people than than the Jews in the Holocaust. I think it's like five to one. Um yeah. apartheid or apartheid. That mm -hmm. was a huge one. Mm -hmm. Um Native Americans in the United States, I think we can be we have a responsibility of millions and millions of deaths. Yeah. And I, I think um especially with the the residential schools and the efforts to um, get rid of language and culture completely um, really shows that lack of of treating people with dignity yeah and there's a, there is now f found a mm -hmm. a mass Native American child grave at the mm -hmm. Jamawa Indian School in Salem. Mm -hmm. So that's only about 40 miles from us. Right. And the reason why, the reason why I brought that up, because I was thinking Native Americans myself, First Nation people, the reason why that's so relatable to other horrific acts worldwide is because it's a Maslow's hierarchy of need threat. See, these threats or these, uh, these issues really are universal to worldwide population. It's not, it's not just isolated to, you know, a European population or isolated to one people group like the United States. It's universal amongst all people. So when you take away and you dehumanize people, you're actually threatening a universal human experience. And so that's why these are really important. You get up to self-actualization and self-actualization is, I would say, I would say that you can bring this into the animal world. You could in a way, uh, some people think it's a little more than others. 
<laughs> self-actualization in the animal world. Paisley where... is living the best life, man. <laughs> yeah, Paisley's living, living the best, best life. life now. <laughs> right, right. Uh, this is the actualization of potential, or this is like the self-actualization of purpose. And really, it has a lot to do. Yeah, it has a lot to do with seeking personal fulfillment. There's a lot of things uh, that, you know, like they say, somebody my age is that their peak of career, peak of like personhood, somebody that enters into their, you know, 50s is like just ready to slide down the other side. Basically, <laughs> it's all downhill. It's all downhill from here. So we've invested enough. We've, you know, supposedly, although I have a five-year-old at home, so I have a long, long ways to go, <laughs> but to we've raised, supposedly raised our children and now we're sliding back. So, so these are universal ideas that when they're threatened, they mm -hmm. have a very human raw, um, consequence to them. So love and belonging if that is right in the center, love and belonging, if that, if you experience deficiency in love and belonging, then that has a very human consequence to it. It is a yeah. felt deficiency. And like what Shreya was saying is that all of these pyramid items build on each other. And so if you don't have love and belonging, your esteem is, is shattered. If anyone knows Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you're noticing that the aesthetic section above esteem is gone i believe that Brennan brown just couples self-actualization in with uh, asceticism mm -hmm. aesthetics not asceticism sorry aesthetics mm -hmm. and so yeah. if if love and belonging are not in place and secure then your transcendence into something better like more is gone and also your esteem is is shot pretty low <laughs> pretty low right well i would say that that is a very old triangle i'm sure that that's been worked over over and over and over there's another old concept we're going to bring up called attachment uh attachment um theory. i want to say disorder theory, theory thank you there are disorders when it comes to attachment <laughs> but uh but we're going to bring up an old theory called attachment theory uh but but in talking about these if you take something old like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you say okay those are irreducible needs those are irreducible concepts in our our life so belonging is one of those ideas that sounds simple but it actually is not simple at all it actually takes a lot of work and time a lot of investment a lot of <clears throat> relationship downtown Sherwood tonight we're having a, an art walk where people are walking around in downtown and they're visiting businesses and organizations and stuff and they're visiting artists and art art is displayed through all the businesses of downtown and what's really interesting about uh, our artist that was in symposium tonight is she said I'm just praying that I would be able to develop new relationships around art and I really thought that that was interesting that she really wanted to invest in our community and build relationships around art so her idea of loving art loving people but establishing a place or a conversation that begins the nurture that begins to nurture a sense of belonging 
that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of uh, prayer. So just because you join a community group or you're a part of a church, those of you who are a part of a church, does not mean that you belong to that church. You might be attending, you might be showing up on Sunday or attending a Wednesday night group or whatever group you're a part of. It doesn't mean that you actually belong. So belonging is that desire to be a part of something that's bigger than us. So you can become a part of a group, but if the group doesn't have purpose and meaning and it just becomes a group. And so there's a lot of clubs out there that you can join, that you can attend, but that doesn't mean that you actually belong there. And I would say, and I would go as far to say, if the group doesn't have a greater purpose than showing up and having a few cocktails and chit chat, I think, <laughs> I think that's not really, that's not, not, not a belonging place. That might be just a showing up place or, or but do I get a hat? The, <laughs> I don't know. If you get a hat, then you is like, there a tassel belong. on the hat? <laughs> is there a tassel? Do we have special signs and symbols and handshakes before? Do we I get, get a drive a bathtub? <clears throat> yeah, the old Cheers song. Uh, what's his name? Oh, what, what's Norm? his name that played in Cheers? No, well, but the guy that the not lead. Ted Danza Ted uh, Ted uh no not Ted Danza Ted anyway whatever that guy's name is look it up Rob and put it in the chat for us uh where everybody knows your name right like symposium so so where everybody knows <laughs> no, your name identity Ted Danson that's close Ted Danson thank you oh. yeah thank you not Danza Ted Danson, Danson. yeah so where everybody knows your name identity with your name if we can start there that is a first step of belonging is identifying that you are a person so belonging is actually showing up somewhere that you want to be but being a part of somewhere you want to be, be mm -hmm. and they want you too mm -hmm. they want you with all your hurts habits hang-ups and and crap they actually want you there. Fitting in is different. Fitting in is going someplace that you want to be, but they don't care who you are. They just want you to be like them. So the church is notorious for being this mm -hmm. way, and which is awful to say, and I'm a pastor, and I'm going to be you know, not the first to say it, but I'll at least be the first on this broadcast to say it, is the church is notorious for making people into who they are versus allowing them to be who they are and to love Jesus. So time and time again, you see in scripture, all through scripture, that Jesus is all through the gospels, that Jesus is addressing people that are different. You have the Samaritans, you have, you know, the prostitutes and the beggars, you have the tax collectors, everybody that nobody wants right in the time. And they're rejecting all these people. And Jesus approaches these people and basically invites them to the table and breaks bread, eats, and fellowships with these people. He dines with notorious sinners. So that is that is Jesus' model where belonging around the table, and if you use the table as a metaphor, breaking of bread and sitting around the table and eating, you know, your turkey or 
mashed potatoes or whatever you're doing, sitting around the table, that's the metaphor of belonging. Do you have a spot? Do you have a place at the table? Do you want to be there? And do they want you there? So Jesus was threatening to the Pharisee because they didn't care who the people were. They just wanted the people to be like them. And that is fitting in. So fitting in is, is really kind of a dangerous uh, rhythm and it has some consequences to it. If you're always trying to fit in, that means you're trying to change who you are constantly. And depending on how many groups you try to fit in with, but, but, but being accepted by everyone else who you are. So that threatens our conservative Christianity when it comes to people that are different. So what do we do with somebody that's gay? What do we do with somebody that's trans? What do we do with somebody that like lives together? What do we do with somebody that's pregnant outside of wedlock? You know, what do we do with all of these, you know, sexual like sex? It just seems like everything revolves around sex a lot of times. But but what do we do with with all of these ideas around sex and people come into the church and we say, okay, you, you have to clean all that up before you get in the water. And Jesus doesn't ever say that. He says, get in the water. That's what Jesus says. Just get in the water. Or he actually just says, follow me. So he doesn't say not to change your life. He actually says, go and sin no more. But what does that mean? And I think that that's more of a metaphor of don't just go out and like purposely not love your neighbor. <clears throat> it means then how do we then accept people, invite people to the table and not feel so threatened. So, I, so I'll just take this, who is our enemy? <clears throat> so are we going to invite the enemy to the table? Because all of those people that I just listed, I would never in a million years think that they are my enemy. Not in a million years. They're not my enemy. <clears throat> so I could invite and have dinner and break bread and just have special handshakes and wear hats with tassels with them and, you know, <laughs> have a good time and call ourselves a club. And we would belong together. We would have a purpose and we would have, you know, just a, a band of, of brothers and sisters and we mm -hmm. would be good. But then the, I mean, how about the, you know, Texan gun toting cowboy hat wearing misogynist you know just jerk pants how about how about that person you know they like they just like so there's a state senator and he comes in oh no it's not state senator he's running for state senate and he on his card he said uh i'm not your average candidate He's running for state senator and on the card, I'm not your average candidate and everything that can. And he says, well, I'm running for on the conservative ticket for the Oregon state Senate and everything. And I would say this about a Democrat too. If they had this Is listed, this everything that. Yes. No. What? Yes. I know that dude. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. Like not I think so. But I know who this dude is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he comes in and he's, 
He's like, I'm not your average candidate. He actually says that to me. I'm not your average candidate. And everything that he said was average from that point forward. Everything he said was just completely average. So I'm just looking at him going, okay. Their tagline this time. I'm like, where's your you something new? Where, why don't you say something new to me? Say something new. Give me something to think about. Don't don't just give me the same old pitch line that I've been hearing for the last you know handful of years. Give me something fresh to think about to fix the problems and the challenges that I face. Stop talking about wearing masks and not wearing masks and how I'm so grateful we don't have to wear masks anymore. How about let's address minimum wage and rent caps and how about let's address real things instead of like talking about mandates that are not even mandates anymore. So yeah. so what was really frustrating to me is here he's not this average candidate and everything he said was just like the same old like regurgitated platform that he's running on. So why did I bring that up? I have no idea why I brought that up, <laughs> but he's your enemy. Going... Does he have a seat at the table? Does he have? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I swear I'm going to change things. Really? I know. I've been hearing that since high school senior class president ran for president promising us soda pop machines in the hallway. And it was not legal in the state of California at the time to have soda pop machines in the hallways of school. But they sure you tried. They sure tried. Those senior class presidents try to get us you know, hallway soda pop machines. It makes absolutely no sense what people run on platforms they run on for politics. So if I disagree with somebody's politics, are they invited at the table? Because someone said, that's Maybe. really hard for me. I know. <laughs> are you invited to their table? It doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about because you're not invited to their table. I can I guarantee you that. <clears throat> but you were the were, enemy were uninvited. What, what, yeah. So what you think an enemy is, are they invited to the table? So Jesus and his love your neighbor is a universal concept. So, so that's for everyone, including your enemy. So that's a challenge, right? That's a challenge that we, that we have. And I believe somehow, somehow, in a kingdom third way, we can find a place for everybody at the table. Maybe we all just need to shut our mouths and wear funny hats with tassels and <laughs> not talk you know, about if anything. If we just keep eating, we don't have to talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all be at the table. So this is ha this happened with Paul in First Corinthians one, and I'm going to read this verse. My brothers and sisters, Chloe's people gave me some information about you that you're fighting with each other. What I mean is this, that each one of you says this, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Kepha, I belong to Christ. So they were belonging to different preachers. So this preacher was saying something different than this preacher that was saying something different than another preacher. And basically, he's like, why are you fighting? Why are you following these people? So I would say this about any person that is so wrapped up into governmental politics and following a person 
that person has become a gospel savior to them in a lot of cases, which is really dangerous and sad because we have Jesus as our savior. We don't need another savior. So people who talk, let's just put it this way. If you talk more about a politician than you do Jesus, I mean, honestly, like, why are you talking so much about politicians? And that has been the sentiment and the rhythm of Christians in the last couple of years. They're talking about politics so much. And it's like, what is the right way? Well, let's get back to the Bible. Let's look at scripture. Let's look at what Jesus would say. And Jesus would care about the prostitute. Jesus would care about the houseless. Jesus would care about certain people. He would be anti-violence. And, and we can talk about that over turkey dinner one day. Um, but Jesus would talk about those things around that table. And and so I asked a people, uh, a people group, give me, ah, well, we won't bring that up. That's too political. Anyway, so, so in 1 Corinthians 1, it says, I belong to these people. And Paul is trying to correct and say, no, you belong to Jesus. And that's who you belong to. You're following these and trying to fit in to with these, with these people. So just for my two points of this talk is belonging and fitting in are two different ideas. Belonging is when we uh, actually have purpose together. We actually are together following something that is greater than who we are. And that is Jesus and his ways. I think we need to go back to God's ways. Um, if you think that the church right now is following God's ways, universal church across the United States, the rhetoric you hear, the slamming that you hear, the shaming you hear, those are not God's ways. And the church needs to go back to God's ways. Two, what I would say, just coin, uh, because I didn't say it, Jesus actually said it, loving your neighbor. So... Jake. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> <laughs> was that just too much the process or what? Am I just talking? It was it was a lot, but it was great. Good job. Okay, good. Thank you. Um do you want to show your cartoons or no? Or are you good? No, I'm good with the cartoons. I've said enough. They're cute though. Read the book. Read the cartoons. Yeah. They're, they're Sorry, I was I was just waiting for something else. So let's talk what about connection for? and disconnection. Well, I'm not going to get well, the DACA and all this stuff, but we can go oh, about yeah, it. Let's, yeah, let's, yeah. And DEI. That was a great section. There's some really great stuff in the book. Just pick it up. But now we're going to talk about connection and disconnection. Um, yeah. Rob, if you want to throw up that that chart real fast we'll we'll start with this uh, chart please the attachment styles your family of origin has a huge impact on who you are what you are what you do how you relate to the world and so um, a lot of it goes even even beyond your cognitive reality. A lot of it goes beyond even 
and science will prove even your lifetime and how trauma can be generational. And so one of the biggest studies is that uh, Jewish families that are descendants of Holocaust victims have a certain genetic trait that follows them through time. And so they can tell or not if your grandparents went through the Holocaust based upon this certain uh, DNA strand in your, in your, in your body. And so uh, trauma generational, anxiety generational, lots of mental illnesses are generational, genetic, I should say. And a lot of the times what your parents struggled with, you will also struggle with because that's your genetic disposition towards those things. And so when we talk about connection and disconnection, um, just think about how you have, go ahead. I was just going to add that sometimes what you struggle with that your parents struggled with doesn't dilute. It no. sometimes becomes stronger. It can. Yeah. Depending on if you're getting sometimes. help for it, depending sometimes. on. Yeah. Sometimes. And I think a lot of that has to do with environment. Mm -hmm. Um, the diluteness of like, say your family has a disposition towards ADHD and your grandfather's nickname was buzz and he was everywhere all the time. Your, your disposition towards, towards anxiety and ADHD will probably be much greater than not. And so you can see throughout your family dynamic that things follow you, whether you like it or not. Name your family look... dynamic. No, I didn't. I did not yet. We'll get to that in the void and personality disorder. Um, <laughs> it's not a disorder. You're okay. It is. Yeah. You're yet. Anyways. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, so Rob, you want to make that chart bigger now we can get into this. So there are four different types of, of attachment. There's secure, anxious, dismissive, and fearful. Those are some words for them. I know them as something different. Kevin pulled this chart up, uh, secure, I couldn't find, I couldn't find anxious, ambivalent, and I forget the last disorganized? one. I go disorganized. Disorganized. Fearful and of so, so, so anxious. Yeah. Go anxious. Ahead. So you have you have secure. Yeah. And anxious, preoccupied. And then you have uh, avoidant and disorganized. But I did mm -hmm. learn ambivalent. And so I'm not sure if the new term or the old term is disorganized, ambivalent. Or no, that's, that's anxious, ambivalent. Okay. Anxious, ambivalent. Okay. All right. Correct. Thank you. Anxious, ambivalent. And then you These, have, this is kind of a new, new chart. I'm not sure about this. Yeah, chart. totally. And then you have avoidant and then you have disorganized. And so secure attachments is as you are growing up, uh, especially in the early years of attachment that your parents are present. They are fulfilling your needs. They're emotionally mature and they are helping you develop and not um, helicoptering or lawnmower parenting your life so that you don't come to adversity. 
And so they're setting you up so for Fred, the most. Fred, my dad is watching right now. Should I analyze yes. my life about? Yes, well, you could. And I want to yeah. say yeah. it's important to say with secure <laughs> attachment that your parents um, hit that mark most of the time because yeah. right. nobody nobody is perfect and gets there all of the time. But let's just but say Mav, that most Mavlo's, people Maslow's hierarchy of needs is fulfilled enough. Yeah, I'm not enough. sure how how many parents mm -hmm. can even. Um, uh, perform this way. I mean, most uh, of the time, yeah. Most of the time, you're you're not going to be in the secure model because we are humans and we function out of avoidant, anxious, and fearful patterns based upon our limbic system. And so, it takes a very cognitive choice to instill secure parenting models in your children. Um, anxious or an ambivalent model is your bringing on <laughs> your uh yeah i can do it for you if you want me to uh anxious ambivalent is you're you're not present you are present sometimes sometimes you'll help with hard things sometimes you'll be there sometimes 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 and so the child becomes anxious that that not all the times their needs will be met. And then you have um, dismissive or avoidant. And that means that problems are not going to be present. This is the I'm right, you're wrong, your emotions don't matter. You are, you are a child, I am the adult, I am the authority, you are the subordinate. And it's always this this talking down to and i think that in our american children system to be seen, not heard children to be seen not heard i think in like it's a very works-based perfectionist uh and we can get into that later on too is how perfectionism drives disconnection but the 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 idea of of avoidance is you're avoiding emotion at all cost because either you are afraid that your child's emotional needs will take more space than what you need for your own emotional needs, or you don't have the emotional language to deal with your child. And so that becomes also from your parents and your parents' parents. And it's this generational thing that um, it, it takes a very cognitive effort to, to stop and go into the secure attachment style. Um, fearful or disorganized. I'm not really know how to even describe that beyond um, usually it's disorganized. With, yeah, usually shows up with people that have endured lots of trauma and abuse. Yeah, uh, as a young child. So the neural pathways that are that are in our brains uh, that are carved through trauma, PTSD. Uh, can occur um, so that when we're now as adults triggered different things trigger us and our attachment our attachment is disorganized we don't have a foundational uh, platform to stand on correct yeah there's there's no there's no organization to their emotions um, that's the child 
but also there's no like help from parent to organize their emotions as well. And also this is the, this is the category where uh, psychologists had to put uh, because they were, they kept trying to fit them. Notice that ideas weren't all fitting into the three. And so it goes into a very fear-based, a fear-based model. And that's the, that's the cognitive, like the, the correlation between the, the ideas. So that's attachment style and connection, disconnection. A lot of it does have to do with how we connected to our parents, um, for your, for your emotional needs. And so do you have the security as we'll talk about later to, to step out into vulnerability, to, to seek, to seek connection. Connection is, is something that needs to be sought. Um, in, we talked about this earlier today and it was some statistic and I won't, I won't say the statistic cause I'll probably be very wrong that given the, given the option of a shock or a, an hour of silence and solitude, an overwhelming percentage of men, like some over 60% of men would rather take the shock. You can drop the, uh, the, the slide for me, oh. Rob. Another million percent of men will take the shock, which is not a lethal shock, just a, a jolt over an hour of silence and solitude. And 50% of women around that one in two would take the shock over, over solitude and silence. And it just shows that number one, that we have a fear of disconnection that we need connection but also that that our emotions aren't ready to handle the the struggle that is connection disconnection and when we see Maslow's hierarchy um, love and belonging in that in that type of connection is right in the center before esteem because your esteem is built on who you're connected with and who you're disconnected from in a, in a good esteem and in, in the neuropathways that are connection and disconnection are the same neuropathways as physical pain. And so our connection and disconnection receptors are the same as our, as our pain, physical pain. And so when you are disconnected or feel no connection, like your mind right. is saying that you are in physical pain that we talked off as well about heartbreak, that the heartbreak is a, and a disconnection is a real, is a real thing. Um, anything else you want to say about this? That's why we experience it. Yeah. That's why we experience it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that we have that. Yeah. That heartache. The reason why we experience heartache is because of the neural pathway that's connected to disconnection mm -hmm. follows disconnection to pain. Yeah. We think about ending relationships or ending like even around us, we can feel that and I empathize with that, that fear of heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I think a lot of us and Rob just wrote 
of the A7 emotions I feel the most, I think disconnection is among the top five for me. Connection and disconnection, uh, the two of those have so much to do with belonging. Belonging is built upon it as well. But how you see yourself is who and, and what you're connected to and disassociated with because those become mirrors in your life that you have. And Kevin says that you're the, what, five people, the average that you hang out you're with the, the most. You're the average of the five people you hang out with the most, too. Yeah, so. <laughs> what, I find it, what I find really interesting about disconnection is in our modern world, one of the signs of disconnection is perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And it's seen as you know, maybe celebrated, but one of the dangers of perfectionism is social disconnection. Yeah. So you were trying to be perfect in perfectionism. Yeah. Right? You're trying to be perfect so, so, that, so that people that will accept you. Relationship. Yeah. Right. You're trying but to be perfect. You're trying to, be, you're trying to be perfect to get yourself out of the relationship or the potential of relationship that sits before yes. you. Yeah, the uh, one thing Brene Brown says, she's not said in this book yet, mm -hmm. but that uh, we wear busyness as a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. That that our, um, like, while wow, you're doing well, I'm really busy. And that, that has become our, our, our generic answer to, to our status in life. And because of our busyness and that goes to perfection that pushes us out of relationships or time with others or time spent because we, we had the need or the feel to, to accomplish more, to be more, but instead we're, we're losing the connections that, that we have. Right. The, uh, the passage that I have for that one is John. No, throw it up there, Rob, for me. When Jesus talks about the the vine and the branches, that he's the vine, you're the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I am you, you'll bear much fruit. Without me, you can't do anything. If you don't remain in me, you'll be like a branch that is thrown out. It's really small and dries up. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Those branches are gathered up, thrown to fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified when you produce much fruit and in this way prove that you are my disciples. So remain and be connected and focus on not disconnecting. And then we get into insecurity. And I'm, I'll start with the passage this time, Rob. It's 1 Corinthians as well. Kevin also talked about 1 Corinthians earlier. But... When I when I read the Pauline passages of Scripture, I I really think that Paul was a insecure person, and even Kevin alluded to it earlier, where some follow Apollos, some follow Caiaphas or Cephas, some some follow Jesus Christ, some follow Paul. There's this argument in the early church of of who you're following, and it it almost feels like. Paul's feelings are hurt that he established this church, but now they're kind of putting him on the wayside. But he also talks about his qualifications of, of being a, 
a leader, being an apostle in First Corinthians. Thank you. No, not that one. Throw up the other one, Rob. That's the one Kevin was talking about. Give him the address so he knows what's on the podcast. I'm I'm not sure the address. I'm kind of just going off of it. First uh, Corinthians 10, apostle, 25. Apostle or whatever. 25? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. I'll just keep moving forward. And if you, if you get it, Rob, just throw it up for me. So you have basically three different types of insecurities. And we use insecurity a lot to describe um, emotional responses that we don't have an answer for. And so it may be lots of emotions that you're having, but you're like, well, I'm just insecure. Well, they're just insecure. They're very sensitive. You have domain specific insecurity. So like you're, um, when we think about scarcity or, or that, um, inaccessibility of certain items, you're insecure, like your food insecure or shelter insecure. You have a lack of physical safety so that puts you in the insecure mode and so if we go back to Maslow's hierarchy again right below belonging relationships oh that's great thank you we can i'll tell you when to pull it up later okay you can pull it down and then we'll we'll put it up again here soon just be ready for that one and so you look at Maslow's hierarchy um underneath love and belonging you have the idea of of security and safety and we need the access of financial, of emotional, of, of food, of shelter. And so all those things have to made up to where we're insecure and we are, we are secure. And then you have relationships or interpersonal insecurity. And so, um, I, you're insecure about your relationships. You're insecure about what people think of you. You're insecure about, about how you are perceived by other people. You're insecure about what your future looks like in certain relationships. Um, it's the uncertainty that drives, that drives insecurity, especially in relationships that we don't know the future. And hopefully, and based upon our own security, uh, this person will accept me in the future as well, no matter what. Then you have the general or the personal insecurity. And this is when you're overly critical of yourself. And so going back to perfectionism again, which is the cause of dis a cause of disconnection is and is now a cause of insecurity. And last week we talked about insecurity as perfectionism as um, a go-to for what where you go when things don't go as planned and so you have to go into your perfectionist drive that things will be better because i'm going to work that much harder so you have like your body image or your performance at work like your your general or your very personal insecurity the opposite of insecurity is is self security and it's the idea of having empathy towards yourself, being non-judgmental and accepting, and also 
I believe that it is impossible to live life without insecurity. And that insecurity is a very human idea. If we weren't insecure, we wouldn't have acquisition of food, water, shelter, relationships. We would just be alone on a beach somewhere, just without air. Kind of a joke. The <laughs> kind of a joke, can but I, no one laughed there. Can I add something to what you were saying there? Go for it. So most of the insecurity that you're talking about is, uh, can you say a generalized insecurity, environmental insecurity, like something that is just a general insecurity, for example, uh, going without food creates a general insecurity or parental environmental insecurity that we grow up with or job situation, environmental insecurity. <clears throat> There's also insecurity that's caused by trauma. And that's a very yes. specific event driven insecurity. And okay. so as you're saying, yes, it's possible it's impossible to live without insecure is that what you said it's impossible to live without some forms of it's it's a human it's a human condition to have security or else insecurity right or else there would not be uh the drive for safety right so so a lot of the insecurity that people feel like COVID 19 fatigue and insecurity caused by the pandemic or <clears throat> rape victims molestation victims and such have a trauma around them based on that event which creates insecurity i do believe through a lifetime of therapy and very specific therapy sometimes emdr therapy sometimes mm -hmm. visualization reframing therapy um, such things and also through mind body spirit meditation even sound healing um, a lot of addicts are finding success through sound healing where mm -hmm. they go in and they're actually listening to different sounds sounds emdr red light emdr uh, where they take a light and move between yep. your eyes and make you follow the light um, those are finding uh, that's finding headway in reshaping, recarving new neuropathways that bypass traumatic trauma pathways, neuropathways. So <clears throat> I do believe that over time, not instantly, and it could be a very long time through very specific therapies and good therapy that you can live without traumatic-based insecurity. Okay. I can see how that makes sense. I, I do want to kind of piggyback on what Jake was saying, though. Um, so we were talking about attachment style and how there's secure attachment, and then there's three forms of um, insecure attachment. And um, even if you have an insecure attachment style, you can still learn secure attachment. Um, and that doesn't mean that we don't experience insecurity, like we still have those feelings of anxiety, but we, we learn new patterns of communicating our needs, of, um, finding connection with others 
so mm -hmm. we can still behave in a secure way despite feeling the insecurity. Right. I agree with all that we're saying. <laughs> yes, I I think to put it back into like if we follow I want to say this that trauma-based insecurity according to Brandon Brown which could like could be totally based by like a baseless um she can, she has three categories of of insecurity so how do we where do we place that do we place it on the outside of those three categories or do yeah, we tra say trauma bit trauma based those are general insecurities that she's talking about totally. so the lack of confidence and insecurity that's created around she calls it you know of course what we were just saying domain specific insecurities yeah. so insecure about specific resources in life that's normal what you're saying is normal you said mm -hmm. the same thing relationship insecurity uh, i feel insecure when somebody says threatening things or whatever i mean then personal insecurity where we are self-critical of our weaknesses and such um traumatic based insecurity is when i have experienced something in my life that creates a neural pathway and then somebody goes like this and it it trauma it triggers me just i mean that if you're a ptsd person that could trigger anything could trigger um ptsd so so that is a traumatic based insecurity that would be outside of those three categories totally i think that's it for insecurity well head, head, heading forward Go for yeah, it. Let's do it. All right. So I'm talking about invisibility and loneliness. Um, invisibility emerged in Brown's research as a function of disconnection and dehumanization, where an individual or group's humanity and relevance are unacknowledged, ignored, or diminished in value and importance. Um, invisibility tends to feel like being overlooked um, and we can experience that as an individual or as a group. Um, we can also experience it being a representative of a group. And so being seen as the group rather than being seen as an individual. Um, so something I think about when it comes to doing anti-racism work is that um, we often look at white supremacy's treatment of black people and overlook the experience of other racial minorities. Um, and so that is a form of invisibility. And that's really all I have on invisibility. Like, I think we have all felt overlooked. Um, it's disconnection and it's painful. Yeah. Well, I think Did you want to add something? I was just going to say, do you think that any marginalized group of any kind uh, has the propensity of experiencing invisibility uh, more than, you know, a dominant 
race of people. So, for example, um, Native Americans are very invisible to some. Like mm -hmm. some people don't even think about Native American people and what we did and how they still are just down the street on reservation land and really thought of as just outside of even our own community. Just, I mean, just the land barrier and just, mm -hmm. just the land itself um, creates a, and the setup of that reservation just creates an outside, like they're just pushed out in a sense. Um, so when you go to Canada, it's much different. They have reservation land, but just the feeling and the experience and the investment that the Canadians have in First Nation people, it just seems different. So when you go to the Yukon, you'll see uh, just very visible native First Nation people. And then you cross into Alaska and you'll see very, very clear how we treat Native Americans as invisible. Hmm. Yeah, and this is part of the reason why um, there's conversations around representation and making right. sure that multiple voices are heard. Um, because we do treat people like they're invisible. Yeah, women. Women are treated as invisible. Yep. Any marginalized group, I think, has the chance of being treated as in, in, invisible, I would say. I think so, yeah. Yeah. On to loneliness. On to loneliness. So we feel Andy lonely. On, that's Andy a, on that's a really good. Yeah, ending on some uppers here, Sharia. I know. <laughs> So we feel lonely when we feel disconnected or when we lack belonging. Um, and loneliness is different from aloneness. Um, the disconnection or lack of belonging is why um, sometimes we feel the loneliest when we're with other people. Um, if we don't feel like we're connecting with those people, that is a very lonely place to be. Um, and I think um, something Brene Brown talks about in a another book called Brave in the Wilderness um, is that in order to belong in our communities, we have to belong to ourselves first. And I think that's how we move from loneliness into aloneness. Um, if we can belong to ourselves, if we're a safe place for ourselves, um, then we're able to feel safe when we're alone um, and not necessarily lonely. Um, I, the verse that I was thinking about is, is the obvious one. Uh, it's Luke 5, 16. And it just talks about Jesus going to the lonely places to pray. Mm -hmm. um, I think there it is. Yep. But Jesus would withdraw to deserted places for prayer. I think our individualistic culture obscures the fact that we are designed to be interdependent um, and to care for each other for survival. Um, 
we need to belong in the same way we need to breathe. Um, and because we don't recognize that and our culture doesn't allow us to recognize that, we tend to feel shame around our loneliness. Um, and then it goes unaddressed and we don't want to talk about it. And then we feel more and more lonely. Um, and so it blocks our ability to connect. Sherry, hmm. hmm. do you think more? that, well, I'm just going to ask you a question. Okay. In your, cause you've been a Christian a lot, probably. Well, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your whole life. And yeah. so you're, you know, you're a professional Christian. So I'm going to ask yeah. you as a professional Christian, do you think that the church uh, does everything it can to skirt and avoid aloneness, number one, and also we hate on those that are lonely? Um, so skirt and avoid aloneness, maybe, but also we tell people to have their quiet time with Jesus in the morning. Um, I don't know what's, what's coming up for me is what you talked about in the beginning, the difference between belonging and fitting in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think fitting in is a very lonely place to be. And I, I do think the church fosters a culture of fitting in rather than belonging much of the time. Yeah. True. I just think that what, the church, wait, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask what the second question was, but you're still on the first go. I'm still on the first one. I'm stuck on the first one that the, that the church does not, that it, the church avoids aloneness. Uh, and it's thought of as just kind of a side little thing that we do, but the more important things are like, yes, the church says, read your Bible and have your prayer time and your cup of coffee and, uh, in the, uh, in the morning and do your thing. Right. But it's not a practice in the church contemplation and, uh, contemplation and and like meditation is not a central idea to the church so so the church has always been about join a group and become a part of mm -hmm. men's ministry and women's ministry go on the hike and you know the community hike and make sure that we you know show up on sunday and clappy 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 song 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 praise 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 preach 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 you know like we just are Sometimes I, I just feel like we're just like in the entertainment business sometimes yeah. versus versus the spiritual growth business. And we might claim we're in the spiritual growth business, but it just seems that we're we're more in the entertainment business. So yeah. that's why I really appreciate your inclusion on our Sunday mornings, your inclusion of spiritual practice. You and Becky and Amanda and Beth and Jake doing spiritual practice. A lot of that is not talking and a lot of that is not, <laughs> you know, jumpy, jumpy, clap, 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 stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight type of, you know, like church yeah. service. 
I think that I think that Pete, the church, the the obvious one for me is, um, I was when I wasn't married, in the church. Yeah. Did you see Rob's I, I, comment? I appreciated it. Uh, no. Uh, how do I look at that? I think right the church in general is becoming more aware how lonely we are, and telling everyone to get married. Yeah. So, so. I I felt that when I was when I was single in the church where I was not the a same whole, as everybody else. Person. I was, yeah, I'm not a whole person because I wasn't married and that created a lot of loneliness, the way that people treated me. Now I hope we've done a little bit better job at resonate of trying to create an environment that we're not so isolating to single people. I think um, so. It helps having a good handful of us too. Right. Right. So, uh, I don't that I have this up now. I don't think the church cares if you aren't in that. If you aren't in that is your problem. If you aren't, then that is your pro. If you are, that is your problem. Maybe aren't Kelly, if you're lonely, still aren't connected. I don't think the church cares if you aren't. Maybe in, Kelly, can you like? If you aren't in, like if, if you're not inside the group, then that is your problem. It's your problem that you're lonely. Right. Yeah, that's what, well, that's what kind of what I was saying is like, we hate on the lonely people. The church hates on the lonely people. So if you're lonely, what's your problem? Or if you're lonely, well, join a group. You know, the reason why you're lonely is you're not in a group, whatever group that is. Um, I that spend more time with Jesus. Right. <laughs> So, so I think that the church is notorious for isolating the marginalized, definitely, but also isolating those that are experiencing emotions of loneliness. And the church has never known what to do with single people. It, it's, it goes right back to the Catholics having the sacrament of marriage. And the sacrament of marriage is like a holy thing to attain. And whenever you do something that's a sacrament, it's like the pinnacle of existence. So baptism is a sacrament, communion is a sacrament, um, confession's a sacrament. So if you put marriage on that same plane, it becomes a spiritual, high spiritual activity. And, you know, Jesus was single and Paul was single and there was lots of single people, male and female, in the in the Bible. And many men left their wives or wives were abandoned by their husbands because they chose Jesus. So there was a lot of mm -hmm. disparity there. There's a lot of like disconnection in the early church. So the early church knew what to do with single people. Uh, so it wasn't until like maybe later years that we started experiencing this pinnacle of, if you know, you're, and, and then you're still not good enough. If you're married, you're still not good enough if you don't have children because now we need children because our quiver is not full. And and so then you're thought of as second rate because your quiver is not full. Um, yeah, so there's lots yep. of challenges I think that we have when it comes to loneliness and visibility and disconnection. Jake, do you have any to add more? I am I think you hit it now. It's great. I have okay. something. Please. Yes. 
Can I close with a passage from Henry Nowen? Yes, please. Good old Henry. Speak yeah. to me. Okay. Uh, the section is called Converting Loneliness into Solitude. Hmm. As Christians, we are called to convert our loneliness into solitude. We are called to experience our aloneness, not as a wound, but as a gift, as God's gift, so that in our aloneness, we might discover how deeply we are loved by God. It is precisely where we are most alone, most unique, most ourselves, that God is closest to us. That is where we experience God as the divine loving Father who knows us better than we know ourselves. Solitude is the way in which we grow into the realization that where we are most alone, we are most loved by God. It is a quality of heart, an inner quality that helps us to accept our aloneness lovingly as a gift from God. If I find God in my solitude and you find God in your solitude, then the same God calls us together and we can become friends. We can form a community. We can sustain a marriage. We can be together without destroying each other by clinging to each other. Thanks, Henry. All right. Well, thanks, you two, for joining us. And those of you who listen tonight and will listen in the future, uh, thanks for joining us. And with that, we'll sign off another broadcast. Good night, everybody.